Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. I'm Stuart Baird. And I'm John Hassel. John, good to see you again. We're also joined this episode by PC Nick. Nick, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, guys. Thanks very much for having me back again. It's uh, It's been a while. Not at all. We're always delighted to have you here. And, and I should make the point for the listeners that we are all digital this month in terms of we're not on one space. So you might notice just some slight changes in our audio quality this episode. Uh, apologies for that if it's not up to its I usual we've all pristine got quite, standard. Quite good mics. I think yeah. it should be okay. Should be okay. But if you do notice a difference this month, that, that explains it basically. We're, we're, we're doing this via Zoom. So. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it works out well for everybody. Wonderful technology. Indeed. Anyway, John, so what are we going to be talking this time then? Well, we're actually going to be revisiting kind of an old topic here because we did have uh, PC Nick on before and it was great. Uh, We had loads of questions for him, but over the time between that and this one, we, we have got some more questions. Yeah, a few questions from the members of the public as well. Yeah, I mean, things have obviously changed a great deal since last Christmas when Nick was last on with us. Absolutely. Nick, I believe this is your third podcast with us. It is, yes, third time. I'm surprised you just wanted me back. <laughs> well, you know, you're so popular, you know. I think one of the ones you were on, Nick, was one of our most popular ones ever. So, yeah, it's good to have you back. Right. Also, this month as well, we will be talking about some of the um, big changes coming to the website, which, which Stuart will fill you in with, uh, and some of the, the work we've been doing with the digitising, which is full steam ahead right yeah, now. Indeed, because we're still limited with what we can do publicly in terms of engagements and that sort of thing. So it so, frees us up to do this. That's why yes. some of the social media images, they've been great, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay then. So Nick, the first time you appeared, we questioned you on a number of issues uh, relating to, to roads policing. And, and for those who haven't maybe heard Nick's previous podcast, uh, Nick works with the Road Policing Unit for Police Scotland uh, in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Nick has a a real insight into the workings of the motorway system in a way that perhaps is slightly different to John and I, you know, who have been more in the operational side of things or the, the engineering side of things. Mm-hmm. So Nick is sort of a uniquely placed to give us an insight into some of the things that people are maybe interested in, but that John and I can't answer. Exactly. I mean, uh, between the three of us, we all have flashing lights on the top of our cars at work, but Nick's are blue. Yeah, he's the only one here who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. <laughs> Uh, not really, but <laughs> I'm sure you'll clear that up for us. Yeah, <laughs> so, so what we thought this, this episode then was we're going to have just a general chat. We're going to have a look at some of those questions that we answered previously. Obviously, the world has changed a great deal mm. in the 18 months since Nick was first with us. And he was back last Christmas where, where we discussed some other issues. But now seems like a good time to just have another catch up on, on yeah. policing issues across the motorway system and, and Nick's take on things and, and how that ties in with, with what you and I are seeing when, when we're out and about as well. Okay. So Nick, if that sounds okay with you, I think we'll just we'll make a start and, and start chatting about things mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, more than happy. Bring the, bring the questions on. Yeah, okay. the grilling begins. Yeah, so, so <laughs> it's, it's going to be a, a reasonably light grilling for you, I'm sure. And I think the, the, kind of, the theory is here, we'll ask you a question and that will lead into other subjects in different areas and that, that should sustain us long enough to keep everybody entertained. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The, only, the only bad thing I'm going to say before these questions start is uh, there's no donuts. Um, <laughs> Nick, you, brought, you, brought, you brought the donuts last time oh, for us dear. and it was fantastic. He did. Police yeah, I didn't donuts. even think this time. I should have sent yeah. some through to you guys. Should have been, should have been a di- you should have do- digitally delivered some donuts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I'll ping you a couple of emojis. How's that? <laughs> Doesn't taste the same, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Theory me. So, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to kick off and, and ask you the first question, which kind of leads from Stuart's introduction there. Is is a bit of, been a bit of time that's passed, and it has been um, quite unprecedented what's happened in 2020. So my first question is, Nick, 
how has your policing role changed due to the pandemic? Uh, it, it hasn't, it hasn't. Our, our core role, um, we still perform our core duties. We still make sure people are safe in the roads. We still try and educate our road users. Um, we still have to enforce legislation when, it's, when it has to be enforced. Uh, our biggest change that we notice, and I hate saying the Q word, and you guys have probably heard it as well, but the roads, have been, or the roads were significantly quieter certainly near the start of lockdown. When, when the first lockdown sort of came in, um, we started noticing, you know, roads were absolutely empty. Mm -hmm. As an to that, what we started to see and what we, we put out media-wise as well is that we were seeing more people either trying to take advantage of the quieter road networks or not really appreciating what the speed limits were yeah, on the road and, at the time. And, you know, there's something, a fact here that people might appreciate regarding the Glasgow motorway system and the reduced traffic flows. It was the longest sustained period of congestion-free motorways in Glasgow mm -hmm. since August 1980. That's quite yeah. something. Right, so, so congestion started to appear in the Glasgow motorway system from around August of 1980. So, you know, that, that, that's how long it's been since, you know, we were that quiet. Get around that, quickly. That, yeah. That's certainly certainly something that we can we can confirm. We have, you know, we've got our morning peaks and our evening peaks, and that's generally when our, our small RTCs happen, or our small bumps in the motorway happen, and a lot of breakdowns happen because cars are sitting in traffic and overheating. And the call volumes for those times drop significantly. We were going to coast because there wasn't that build-up of traffic on the road network. Everything was relatively free-flowing eh, for the, the vast majority of it. Um, but yeah, we still dealt with what we had to deal with, even though it was during the pandemic and even now when the roads have started to get busy and people have started returning to work. We're still dealing with what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. We're still stopping folk. We're still uh, speaking with folk. We're still trying to educate folk. We're still, mm. as I said at the start, you know, enforcing legislation when legislation has to get enforced as well. The other thing I thought you mentioned about having, you know, with the incidents and stuff like that, with the roads being so quiet at that time, it must have, you know, to, to, for you to be able to respond to things, you must have got to stuff so much quicker than you did before. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge removed, I suppose. It is. It's, it's also a skill to try and navigate your way through peak time traffic when you've only got two lanes and there's, there's nowhere for cars to go and you need to try and find a way through because there's something serious that's happened up ahead. Um, but yes, yeah. certainly with no cars being on the road, it's, it's a lot easier for us to get to, to things. It's a lot easier for us yeah. to navigate the actual road network as well. And I suppose even, even now, um, you know, six, seven months in, uh, the motorways are still quieter than normal. I think yeah. somewhere between 10 and 20% quieter than, yeah. than what was considered normal pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's noticeable in terms of the congestion we're not having on the motorway system but at the moment. People are working from home yeah. now. They've realised, you know, that this works and that's what they're going to yeah. do. So, I mean, there's one or two, you know, maybe half an hour or so at the moment that seems to be reasonably busy in the usual hotspots, but very quickly disappears. And obviously there's no events in the evening. The, the football has been happening, you know, we know uh, fans or supporters present. So, you know, that has taken away those weekend peaks mm -hmm. and evening peaks as well. So, yeah, it's a very different network to what we had, you know, even in January, February. Um, yeah. You know, and it must be noticeable, not just for, not just for Nick and people working for policing, but for, for deliveries and, and goods that, drivers as well. That's what I was going to say is journey time reliability yeah. is, is wonderful at the moment. You know, you normally before the house, I check the, the maps on Google. I don't know if you go, mm. do you guys do this? Check the traffic yeah. maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very I'm, useful I'm, resource. I'm a bit of a sad one. I've got a wee script thing set up on my phone that lets me check the traffic Scotland cameras so I can see where the congestion is and what it's like. Sometimes it takes a couple of minutes right. to update, but yeah, let's be see an almost live view. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, no, I, I don't do that anymore. 
you know, yeah. and check these things because it's all it's always quiet. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, it has obviously got quiet. I mean, yeah. you guys are in, in jobs where you need to be out and about in the networks. You've seen these things. Some of us, unfortunately, are still mm. still working from home. But also, as well, Nick, with the at the peak of the lockdown, when there's very little traffic in the road, there probably would have been very little incidents. Am I right to assume that? Or would you guys have still been busy? Certainly reduced. It's certainly reduced. However, it's, it's not zero. Um, like I right. said, just at the start, people were um, sometimes travelling faster than what they should have been just because they weren't used to the roads being that empty. Because they're travelling faster than what they should have been, they might not have anticipated the, the road conditions the way they should have, or the bend might have been a bit sharper than what it would have been when they were travelling at start-stops traffic. Um, so, yeah, we still, ha- we still had to res- respond to incidents. We still had to deal with things. Um, but no, certainly not a, a zero. We certainly want to sit and eating donuts or drinking coffee. Yeah. Okay. Well, this brings <laughs> me on to my next question. Okay. So, Nick, you work shifts uh, mm-hmm. day, night, back. Um, I suppose you can include this with a lockdown or, or whatever, be pre-lockdown. What time of day is your job most challenging on the motorway network? It's it's always going to be peak time traffic for us and it's just right. trying to respond to incidents and, and trying to deal with incidents as they occur as well. You know, you said we've got certain parts of the motorway network in Glasgow that doesn't have any hard shoulders and it means if something happens, if it's a two-car bump or a three-car bump or, or whatever it is and cars are immobilised, you've effectively taken a whole running lane away. Mm. You know... You, you the, want to try and deal with that as quick as you can as well to get... Yeah, we, we need to try and keep the road network moving. As long as there's no serious injuries or, or life-threatening or changing injuries, we want to try and keep the road network moving as smooth and as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, lockdown or no lockdown, it, it still builds traffic up as soon as one of those lanes are, are blocked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so just to jump in on that question then, so would you say that your role then has a different focus depending on the time of day that you're, you know, that you're working? So if you're in the middle of a night shift, for example... Um, are you more likely to be dealing with other things than, say, obviously RTAs or, or you know, mm, yeah. the, the sort of a run-of-the-mill stuff? Does it, yeah. is the focus of the job change depending on the shift? Yeah, most definitely. Like, say, so your night shift, especially pre-lockdown, um, you're talking about, and I hate to categorise everybody all in the same one, but the motorway network in Glasgow night shift, especially at the weekend, you've normally got drunk folk at, you know, have missed their last bus home or last train home and have only ever driven back up the road. So they think, oh, the quickest way I know is to jump on it. 18 or 19 and start walking in the motorway and yeah, yeah. I can get a bit interesting. Yeah. Peak time traffic, it's generally your fender benders, your, your, your two car bumps, you know, just somebody into the back of somebody else or cars overheating and breaking down and not being able to move. Um, but these type of things can happen at any time, you know, car failures, lack of driving skills, it can cause issues in the network at any time, day or night. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no really any, um, uh, what would I say, Every, every shift is challenging. That's the best. Yeah, way of course. It. Every right. shift is challenging. Yeah, every shift brings its unique challenges. I'm sure. You probably, I'd imagine Nick as well. When there's big events going on, you guys are briefed prior to that. Say, by the way, there's a big concert on tonight at such and such a time that, that things might get a bit hairy during that. Yeah, we, we we get told all that as well. But that's where, like, say your local councils come in to play. Trafcom, uh, Glasgow City Council, they control quite a lot of traffic lights as well. Mm-hmm. Take take for instance uh, Ibrox. Uh, to access that, you can right off the motorway at Junction 23 and Junction 24. Those traffic lights on game days, when it's busy, have to be controlled so that you've not got traffic backing up onto the motorway. Yeah. It's, it's, one, it's, a big, it's, a big, it's a big team game. It's a, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's multiple stakeholders involved, you know, and as John and I know, certainly from our side of things, that there are many meetings that go on behind the scenes to to make sure everybody's pre-briefed and prepared for these big events, and they're all discussed often at length, you know, months months in advance sometimes. The public don't often appreciate it. They always moan at the time, but we try our best. So I'm going to move on to the next question now. Um, Uh This one's about electric vehicles, okay? Uh, To get your perspective on this, Nick. Do you see electric vehicles becoming a thing for the police to use? And, you know, if they were, what challenges or benefits might these have? Uh, they, they definitely are becoming something for the police to use. Uh, there was a press release, I think it was maybe just near the start of the month, that Police Scotland are going to install it's about a thousand charging points, I think, across uh, police stations. And it's, yeah, it's, part, right. yeah, mm-hmm. it's part of an ongoing thing where they're trying to be the, or Police Scotland are trying to bring the world's first possible EV fleet into use. Okay. Um, so I think, yeah, they're, they're looking at bringing in electric vehicles uh, for probably for initially for, for regular uniformed uh, police officers initially, and then you know the traffic might get it later. Yeah, I, I can see the traffic getting them at some point. Certainly, looking at the the type of cars that's available, there is certain ones that I, I would like to drive as a traffic officer. <laughs> There's yeah. no two ways about it. Uh, whether or not we get them, I don't really know. Uh, mm-hmm. But. Yeah, it's something that is going to come. It's something that is going to have to come. It's, uh, it's mm-hmm. the whole carbon emissions. It's, it's trying to reduce your carbon footprint in the world. And yeah. there's no two ways about it. Policing does use a lot of vehicles. And by taking a lot of those carbon emissions... And you're emissions using them all day yeah. as well. And I it's take a, it the vehicles you're using them are, are diesel. The ones that we have just now, yeah. We, we run a mainly diesel fleet in the road policing unit. Um, I mm-hmm. think the vast majority of police cars in Police Scotland just now are, are part of a diesel fleet. I think it was just more uh, cost-effective. Yeah. yeah, I suppose there's an onus on all public bodies to to be and private companies to be looking at how uh, their carbon footprint is managed yeah, yeah. going forward sure, and, and yeah. you know to become more sustainable. We, we we need a bit more than just token gestures like a couple of a couple of charges in the car park. It does need to be part of a whole strategy. Indeed, yeah, to, and and that's why we're yeah. looking at things like hydrogen double deckers and you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a project for the fourth road bridge. I think it's a cab fourth project where there'll be electric buses and yeah, you know autonomous bus. They looked yeah. at using. Nick, have you actually um, have you driven an electric car? Have you had a go of one? Uh, closest one I've driven is a BMW i3, and the right. police have a couple of uh, BMW i3s that are used mainly for um, non-uniformed officers uh, as, as part of the the ultra low emissions fleet that Police Scotland are trying to bring in. Um, and now, yeah, are they, are they fully electric or are they um, hybrid? They are electric with range extenders, I want to say. It's the ones with the, the wee petrol engine in the back. It uses yeah, just to charge the yeah. battery up mm-hmm. as it goes. Yeah, um, yeah the wii 3 is it's a small car. It's a tall car. It's a, it's a 19-inch wheels. It's, I think they're about an inch thick mm. or an inch wide. <laughs> we, we tried one, Stuart. We, we, we tried the little Zoe. Do you remember that? That's right. Yep. Um, and that was that was really nippy, wasn't it? It was a lovely wee car to drive. Yeah, you know, it, felt it, was... like, it felt like being in a remote-controlled car. Yeah, they're very, they're very, very responsive. That's what I found about them. But the whole thing is they're great until you need to charge them. You know, that's yeah. what the problem is. And that's where the infrastructure obviously has been looked at and so improved. Catch up. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's charge points. I was in Pitlochry recently. I noticed that there were a number of new charge points that had been put in there mm. at one of the public car parks and they were rapid charge. You know, so obviously designed for people maybe going to Inverness from Perth or whatever and be well, able to stop and, you know. I was going to say, that's a brave place on a big, long distance route, yeah. you know, taking an electric car. The only electric cars I, I'd feel safe going kind of intercity yeah. uh, to that extent or up north would be like Tesla's. 
you know, because they have been the longer range, much yeah. longer ranges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting yeah. to see what the next 10 years or so brings with electric vehicles and, and policing in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different. You know, I, I can speak from, let's say, the Glasgow network or the Greater Glasgow Renfrew and the Clyde side of things where we have a large amount of people and a large amount of infrastructure nearby. But, you know, you, you need to remember there's, there's other places across the whole of Scotland and there's rural communities that you need to go to as well. Yeah. And there's, there's rural communities that need to be policed. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, but EVs at the best of times, if you're if you're pushing them hard, they'll drain the batteries faster. And the last thing you need is to be heading on a really long distance journey. And if it's a driver, if it's a, a response police um, heading to something and they're pushing the car, they're pushing the batteries. The last thing you need is to get like three quarters of the way there, when yeah, you would addition. normally be able to complete it in a full charge because you're going or pushing the car a bit harder, you might run out of charge. I yeah. absolutely noticed this with the Renault Zoe fully electric that I drove for a week. Nick mm-hmm. driving at fifty. You know, on the motorway, it seemed to be far more economic. But going at yeah. seventy, yeah, just it, kills I mean, it. Half the range, you know, yeah. the projection on it. And I suppose the reliability is a big thing with it, with these cars and the adoption of these cars. You know, widely, we haven't had them long enough to know what's the big long-term problems with these. Yeah. You know, do the batteries get lazy after a while, or you know, we don't know. I suppose so. battery capacity is one of these technologies that's constantly being looked at, isn't it? Of course, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So hopefully that'll that'll move forward. I suppose like Nick says, you have to consider areas like Argyle and Butte or Highland, you know, mm-hmm. where there are large distances between towns and, and you know, villages and things I like think that. The, uh, maybe you can clear this up, Nick, just, a, just an extension of this. Is see on these very uh-huh. remote parts, do they use kind of Land Rovers at the moment? Uh, no, generally, within Police Scotland, it's generally a standard fleet that we run. So you'll have your BMW X5s. That's normally the, the the four before style vehicle that we use for these type of things, yeah. um, your BMW five series vehicles that we use, still a couple of three series vehicles in there. Um, generally, that's a fleet that we use, and they are capable, or more than capable, of what's happening. Some more remote areas need specialist vehicles like the Land Rovers. They are very few and far between, and they are a very specialist uh, vehicle that's used for very specific things. Right, um, but for the, the most, yes. Hmm. Yeah, 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 defenders. But for the most, it's uh, BMWs. Well, it's good because we're talking about cars because the next question, Nick, is about cars. Mm-hmm. Um, this one actually comes from Robert Jennings, who's asked mm-hmm. the question on social media. Uh, and he asked, What's the, what is the best car you, you've ever had for road policing that you've used? Your personal uh, favourite? The, the best one, the one that I use daily, I, I prefer getting out in a BMW X5. I'm quite tall. I find the X5 is quite comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means I because it's an X5, it's also a good tone vehicle. So it means I can clear things quickly as well if it's appropriate to do so. The best car, however, I've driven was a BMW X3 right. M140i. So that's M- smaller. M40i, sorry, M40i. Right. Smaller than the X5, but it was a demo car that was given by BMW to the police. And they sort of... They make these cars, they make them to exceed the home office specifications. They make sure that it's tested by the Met. The Met say, yeah, listen, this could be a police car that we could use. And then they put it out to other forces to say, look, what do you think about this car? What could we change about this car? How could we make it better for specific use in specific instances that users will be using it? And one of the demo cars we had was that BMW X3 and it was an M- M40i. And yeah, that was, that was a lovely car to drive. That was, that was really nice. But they did, I take it they didn't adopt them in the end. They went for the X5. It's part of a procurement process. So what happens is they come up, they they let us see it, we give our feedback on it, and it then goes to somebody who takes all the feedback and then they decide what happens next. Hmm. Don't know know when that procurement process finishes, if it's still ongoing or or what happens next from it. Interesting. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they they go and 
go and get their vehicles and see what other forces think. It's, it's another question here. Um, this is kind of one I've come up with myself. Uh, it's also on vehicles. Um, autonomous vehicles uh, are coming at some point now. Fully autonomous. I know you can't have them on the road here in the UK, but mm-hmm. in America, they, they, have, they have that in some places. But why can't we have them here in the UK? I think there needs to be... You know, you can have certain assistance, but I, I don't know why. It's just not the law. I Legally, law. you mean, right? So I thought, sorry, I thought you meant technologically or environmentally. So, right, okay. So, so as far so, as I, I mean, uh, this is just kind of uh, yeah. The technology is not quite there for that, but yeah, right, okay. Mm-hmm. So, Nick, in a world where the majority of these autonomous vehicles are on the roads, how would that make you feel? Uh, would it kind of diminish the need for for road policing? I don't think it will diminish the need for road policing per se, as a road policing officer, um, we want the roads to be safe and autonomous vehicles certainly assist in making the roads safe. You're still going to have a large element of drivers that will never relinquish control over to autonomous vehicles because they want to be in control and they don't trust cars, they don't trust drive-by-wire, they don't trust, um, you know, computers that can calculate things at 10 times the speed that a human brain can. They think, no, it's still going to be slower than what I can. Yeah. Um, you are also, still some people just like driving and like yeah, being in enjoy the process of there actually is, yeah. driving yeah yeah without a shadow of a doubt so there is always going to be a need for roads policing right. i think it will help substantially um especially in serious incidents and collision avoidance um as to yeah i know i can see us still being used for quite a while because yeah. ultimately you're still going to have issues you can make all autonomous vehicles in the world you're still going to have humans on the road whether they be behind the wheels of a car or whether they're walking next to it cycling yeah. next to it and, and you get i suppose one of the, the supposed benefits of these cars is that you get a more efficient use of road space of course you so do because they can queue management and things like that Closer together yeah so you can you know you can have a convoy of 10 of these things you know a, a very small spacing mm-hmm. but you know entirely predictable because the computers are all working with one another or whatever so mm-hmm. yeah i'll be interested interesting to see how the the existing roads network develops to accommodate these cars we, we i remember have... speaking about this with you guys before it was um, a video by cgp gray online that shows just how efficient electric autonomous vehicles can make a normal road network mm-hmm. even just something an intersect or um a crossroads or an intersection you've got a lot of stop and go and it's that constantine uh, effect where, where cars just slow down and it takes yeah. ages for them to catch up again yeah, yeah, if yeah. everything's all computer and electronically controlled you won't get you can some traffic jam yeah. yeah 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 so i mean that could be a benefit in itself, and you, yeah. the face it Nick, you're never going to end up well hopefully not in the in a having to do a pursuit with an autonomous vehicle <laughs> Would there not be some override function so that the police can demand it stops? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. They could probably have some control, like a whole smart network of cars or something like that. <laughs> so you know? Sure, that's something that's still to be looked at. But the worst can... comes to the worst, just set all the traffic lights to red and it has to be <laughs> them. <laughs> well, you know, you know, in Glasgow in 1980, we were able to do that. I don't know if we're able to do that. <laughs> there's, there's things that we're talking about. This is, this is a, a bit far out there, but they were talking about, you know, autonomous airlines, uh, auto, autonomous commercial flights. Yeah, no thanks. Uh-huh. And they were, they were worried that these could be, these could be hacked. You know what I mean? So you, you'd have autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, there, there's always that kind of risk of that there could be kind of an, uh, malicious... By some uh, malicious foreign power or something like exactly, that. Yeah. Or, or whoever, or somebody having a laugh. You yeah. Know, and then it causes yeah. problems. Yeah. You know? Yeah, let's not even contemplate such a, 
such yeah, things. Yeah. That's what the podcast <laughs> is for. So, but, but that's just something everyone's going. To, they're going to have to look at before they decide whether they're going to allow fully autonomous vehicles on the road network in the UK. These are all things yeah, that are where, going to questions. Where going is to have the legislation at the moment, though? I mean, do you know anything about it, Nick? Is it anything that's you hear about? Certainly nothing I've had to deal with yet. Um, okay. Legislative wise, every electric vehicle or semi-autonomous vehicle I've dealt with have. Uh, They've all been fine and, and no issues whatsoever. So no, there's certainly nothing I would be aware of that. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a history podcast, primarily. And we're mm-hmm. supposed to tie it into the history of we're the talking about the future. I, and yeah. we're talking about the future. But let's, <laughs> let's tie it into history. If we were to go back to 1960, right, yeah. when the guys are considered in the network and they're designing this, this network for 30 years ahead, think of some of the big ideas that they thought were coming down the line. You know, we've got reports in the archive that talk about personal helicopters, uh, you know, by the year 1990 or the year 2000. I mean, we've got that booklet, Transport in the Year 2000, that envisages that most people will have a car that can transform itself into a plane or helicopter and that they can fly from A to B. It's like the Jetsons. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So is there any reason to believe that the way we're thinking about these autonomous vehicles coming down the line in 20 to 30 years, is it as pie in the sky as that idea turned out to be? Mm. Or do you think this time it is actually a reasonable you know, concept or proposal because the technology maybe has moved on? Mm. I think yeah. for, for me looking at it, I'd say I definitely think that this is something that is going to be happening. It, it, it is happening elsewhere in the world just now. The technology is there and it is advancing at quite a, a fast pace. It isn't even just the road network we're on just now because you've got like said tesla's other company the, the boring company they're currently drilling big massive holes underneath las vegas just now just to prove that they can increase capacity by making a different road network but they can cut journey times just by drilling underneath something yeah. um, you know all these things are, i don't think there's pie in the sky is what some people think now because they are mm-hmm. being practiced mm-hmm. and, and then i wonder how a network like the glasgow motorway system designed very much for motor vehicles yeah in the traditional sense, will adapt to suit autonomous vehicles or well, and the whole decarbonisation of transport as we, as we talk about. Yeah, the way I've often thought of how they would be introduced is autonomous vehicles would probably only be allowed to operate on motorways first, mm-hmm. rather because, you know, they, they, just due to the geometry, you don't have things like pedestrians and other things like that to worry about. Yeah. You know, the, the standards in which motorways are kept in is higher than, say, a street because these things rely on the white lining being very good and stuff like that. So maybe the Glasgow will actually fare quite well. It could be a trial city for such things because it has so many motorways. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't considered that maybe motorways were better suited to them than other roads. Of, but course, of course they are. Because, but, and I think that in this initial period where you can only use them on the motor, as soon as you go on the motorway, the vehicle would then take over. And when you go off the ramp, onto a local road, come it, back under your it just comes back under your control because it can't deal with the... Or become semi-autonomous. Semi-autonomous, yeah. I mean, I, I almost consider my car to be semi-autonomous in the sense that it's got adaptive cruise control. So, uh, right, okay. right, so if I'm, if I'm seeing a long stretch of motorway, seeing the M74 heading towards Carlisle, I can put the cruise control on at 65 mm-hmm. and I can sit in lane one and the car will never collide with anything in front because if it detects a truck in front or whatever, it slows down and, you know, it'll adjust yeah. itself to suit. So they're just kind of safety, driver aids is what I call them. Yeah. But what makes that any different to a semi-autonomous vehicle? Is it the fact that I, that, you know, 
I'm still in control of the steering wheel. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you sit back. I think yeah. all that's doing is just slowing you down and speeding you up. As a driver, you still have to pay attention to, to, move to your over and that kind of yeah. thing. I suppose, yeah, I suppose the, the semi-autonomous vehicle, the fully autonomous vehicle would move into lane two itself. But some vehicles already have that. They've got, um, they've got kind of a, a, they keep you in your lane yeah. and stuff like that. Some mm-hmm. Fords not get something like that. And yeah, and then some Fords have got parking um, assist. And I'm just thinking of, of a well. scenario here where Nick has had to deal with an incident and somebody's blamed it on a, uh, a driver aid or a semi-autonomous function. I suppose the point would be there that there should be data loggers on board yeah. that, that are constantly monitoring everything that that vehicle is doing and any overrides and things like that. And that would be your failsafe against that, that kind of excuse. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. potentially. All right, okay. Anything else you want to say about that, Nick, before we move mm. on to our next question? No, I certainly know that Teslas themselves, they record a lot of information on them. There was a case, uh, I think it was last year, where a Tesla was involved in a, a collision with a cyclist that was walking with a bike across you know, like a six-lane highway. I remember this, um, yeah. And it was a department, uh, the Highways Traffic Administration, I can't remember what it's called in America, but they literally downloaded everything that they could from the Tesla and found that the driver was at fault, even though it was an autonomous mode. Uh-huh. It was a driver at fault because he still should have been able to react to you you can't sit in the back seat while it's you've got to be there at the wheel ready you know yeah that that was the last update i read i don't know what the the latest updates are for it but that was the last i read that he was technically going to be held at fault because even though it was autonomous he still should have been in a position to take control of the vehicle or do something to avoid that collision yeah and you know i i never think about anything else when i hear about these vehicles or people talking about these autonomous vehicles i always think of the american guy who sued the rv manufacturer uh, oh. in America for millions because <laughs> he, he decided to go for a pee when he was driving down some highway in America and left the wheel and, and he said, well, you told me it had cruise control and it plowed <laughs> off the road down an embankment or something. And... So yeah, he went into the back <laughs> to use the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd heard that common, enough. common sense. Yeah. yeah, I'd heard that and I heard that's why I think it's the first page of that manual now, now states for every Winnebago's that you cannot leave this vehicle whilst it's being driven. <laughs> Goodness I always me. think of that when, when I hear about autonomous vehicles. Thank goodness it was a B and not a number two. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't have had much time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. okay. On that note, next, next question. Next question. Okay. So we're not talking about cars anymore. Uh, There's one from me. So uh, why do the police use motorbikes or motorcycles, uh, Nick? Surely a police car is better to carry all the, you know, the gear or if you've got to transport a prisoner. What's yeah. I get it. It's different utilities. It's, it's different tools that we use for different parts of the job. Um, when I'm out in my, my X5, yes, I can take prisoners or arrested persons in it. I can also deal with moving vehicles out the way. Um, however, like I say, it, it's a bit of a challenge sometimes trying to beat your way through peak time traffic and you're trying to fight your way through and make, make a third lane essentially to get, get through to get to someone. Mm-hmm. That's something that the motorbikes excel at. They are big bikes, but they're still a lot skinnier than what an X5 or a, a BMW 5 Series is. And yeah. they can get themselves through gaps that you wouldn't think would be possible. Likewise, so like, yeah, streets as well, it could be quite handy. Yeah. 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 Like that, Paul, are you talking about that parting the Red Sea effect? You've exactly, got yeah. Everyone's, you, make, you make a third lane, yeah. Okay. That's it, yeah. But likewise, um, they're also a lot more nimble and a lot faster off the mark, so they can get, you know, they can scoot through these tight spaces and then accelerate away, and that's it. And the next thing you know, they're gone. You know, you're you're struggling to try and keep up with them. Um, and, they're also used quite a lot for big major events. You know, yeah, I mean, traffic. I, I, funnily enough, when I was uh, I was on the M8 on Saturday, um, or above the M8 on Saturday, and I saw one of the team uh, coaches being escorted uh, by mm-hmm. police outriders. Uh, you know, so that, that kind of role of security role, anybody's ever seen footage of, the, of politicians or, mm-hmm. you know, 
Um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of videos on YouTube of it. There's a lot of folk that yeah, record these things on YouTube. into that sort of thing. Now, Nick, a question that's come from me, and, and I genuinely don't know the answer to this, and other people might be asking the same thing. Are, there, are the, the bikers, um, are they part of the same team that, that you're in, you know, as part of road policing, or are they a separate division? No, no, they're, they're part of the, the road policing unit. Um, the, the motorcycle unit within the roads policing um, division, if you like, or, or operational support division. So they work with us, we work with them. Um, okay. Sometimes we go out and do the same job, sometimes we go out and do different things. Okay. Likewise, there's times that when the guys in the bikes might have to come in and crew a car to assist us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they are multi-skilled. They can do a multitude of different things as well. Right, so they, they can jump in and do a car and ride a bike, but can you go out and ride a bike? And come no, back to a car, or is it all dependent on skills and training and all that stuff? Skill, skills and training, right. skills and training. Yeah, mm. no, that's fine. That's an interesting one. People may be worth thinking that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one's a question I've got that kind of goes back to some technology in vehicles. So everybody seems to have dash cams these days. Mm. Uh, what effect do these have on your job or when you're, you're dealing with incidents? Have you got anything you can tell us about that? Uh, initially, they can sometimes take an awful lot of guesswork out of something, or they can they can help to apportion blame or lack of blame to incidents. Um, we go to something and person A says it was person B that caused it, person B says it was person A that caused it, and there's no other evidence to the contrary. It's literally just the two of them It's saying one against the other. Yeah. You have a quick look at the dash cam footage, and sometimes it's, it proves you know, it was person A that caused it, and other times it's inconclusive. Mm -hmm. um, they do help. And I would certainly rather have video evidence if something's happened than not have anything at all. But yeah. what, a, what a lot of folk forget as well is that dash cams, they don't just record the picture that you see with your eye. Dash cams, when you look at it, they can sort of warp the picture ever so slightly. So it sometimes makes things look even closer or sometimes further away than what it actually is as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right, because they're quite wide lenses on them, obviously, to try and capture as much as possible. Much, yeah. But I didn't think about that. So it, it can distort things as well. The insurer's yeah. best friend. You know, they're, mm. they're, they're great from an insurance point of view. You use one, don't you, Stuart? I use two. Yeah. You got one at the back. I've got one well. at the back as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Likewise, I, I run two. I've got one at the front and one at the back as well. It's um, I'd it's best evidence. I'd rather have something there to record yeah. should something go wrong and never have to use it. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's nice to have, mm -hmm. isn't it? All right. Okay. What have you got next? Well, coming up with my next question. I'm uh, just getting my my notes out here. Um. Okay, so a bit of a kind of a hypothetical scenario here for you, Nick. Um, <laughs> it's one of these myth things. Um, so oh, if, it's okay. hot, if it's a hot summer day and I've decided to go out for a drive and I'm going to be wearing flip-flops or even bare feet, uh, is that legal? Would I get in trouble? Because I've heard some people say you shouldn't wear or you should wear appropriate footwear or you can get pulled over for wearing flip-flops. Any truth in this? We're going to have a chat if you're on flip-flops, John. <laughs> We're going to have a chat. Well, sorry, man sandals then. <laughs> uh, no, this one would defer back to the highway code. I think it tells us everything, that, generally everything that we need to know about driving and what is and isn't the rules. And the highway code says that you should wear appropriate footwear for the vehicle you're driving to ensure right. that you can use the controls appropriately when you are driving and it's not going to hinder you from using those controls. Okay. So if you're wearing flip-flops and if there's a chance that those flip-flops can get entangled or bent and could stop you from either accelerating or braking or doing something to control the car, then yes, it's it's not right. It's, it's not, not not right, sorry. You shouldn't be wearing, you should be wearing more appropriate footwear. Yeah, and John, John wears socks with his sandals as well, so they slip about even more. <laughs> no, I <don't. laughs> no, I do not. That's, that's, that's a fashion police he needs. 
Is that a refer to the fashion police for John? It's going to be white socks as well, isn't it? Oh, it is. sandals. So just just to make that really clear, uh, being being serious again, guys. Uh, bare feet would be a no-no because that's just no footwear at all. You know. Yeah. Surely bare feet would be better than flip-flops because bare feet don't have anything that are going to slip off or get tangled up. It's true, but it's kind of sore on your feet. You'd hope not, and I would say it's more just to do with the pain factor of types of things because pedals are all different sizes. And yeah. if you go and try and slam on the ankle with it, the, the arch of your foot, and yeah. you're not used to having that much pressure applied to it, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, yeah. knee jerk reaction. You pull your you pull your foot off when you should have been breaking, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well. okay, good point. Good question, John. And we now know that you wear socks and sandals. I don't. I was just flops. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't even, I'm not even going to say any more about it. I'm just going to move straight on to the next question. It's when he wears the denim hot pants to go with him. Like, that's when it's the real problem. That's not true either. Right. The photos well, thanks very much happen. for having me on, guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did say it was going to be a Down to Earth podcast, didn't we? It is, yeah. With, with some of these uh, factoids, as I call them, put in there. Okay, so next question. Um, this is about the speed camera vans, Nick. The yes. speed camera enforcement vans, you can parked on bridges, laybys. Are these also traffic cops uh, or are they something else? Do you, ever, do you ever work with these guys? Have you ever, you know much about it? So just to be clear, we're not talking about the trust vehicles that sit at the side of the road that people often get confused <laughs> with speed camera vans. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. No, proper speed camera vans. Yeah. Proper speed camera vans, yeah. No, no, they're, they're part of the, the safety camera unit, uh, the Strathclyde Safety Camera Partnership. Uh, they are part of the police um, we don't generally work in the vans with them. However, we do assist them with inquiries and stuff that they have as well. Okay. Um, they are fairly autonomous, I think is one of the best words to use for it. They, they are given data by local councils and from us of crash sites or sites where um, speed has been an impact in a number of crashes. And they're sent out to try and reduce those crashes. In short, it's a visible deterrent to try and slow people down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've said time and time again, both us and the safety camera partnership, we'd love it if no one sped. We'd love it. There'd be no issues with that whatsoever. Unfortunately, people do, and they are as generally a big contributor to road traffic collisions. That's why these folk go out and they sit at the hot spots. A lot of people say, oh, they're sitting in spaces. It's you know easy money for them to sit at. They're going to sit mm-hmm. here. It's just because they people with, with, with big speeds. Yeah, it's not safe for you to go back. Or and, and the locations yeah. are always published online. Yeah, I mean, no, 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 hidden away. I mean, anybody can go onto the Safety Camera Partnership website and see the locations, be it for mobile or fixed cameras. That's not a well-known fact, that, Stuart, but it is true. That is now. There you go. (laughs) You heard it, yeah. (laughs) Look online, yeah. (laughs) The Safety Camera Partnership have their own Twitter feeds, and they tell people when they're going out, and they say to people, you know, this is it, and this is a list of the locations it will be at. And as you say, Stuart, it is all updated in the website. Yeah. And if you have a look... A lot of people don't have access to it. There is a number of websites now that collate all road traffic collision data. If you have a look at where the, the major or, or serious crashes are in relation to speed and correlate that with where the safety camera partnership vans sit, you'll generally find it's roughly exactly the same bits yeah. and it's purely to, yeah, to influence driver behaviour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not there for any, you know, they're not there uh, to make money, as you say. And, and, and it always annoys me when I see that that sort of a, thing being peddled well, one thing i i have yeah. noticed is they're never in the same spot for very long they see they seem to go to a few different sites in in the day you mm-hmm. know because i've seen it where i've driven up a road i've seen it and then come back around again they're not there somewhere else yeah yeah, yeah. so they, they're obviously busy um so i'm going to move on to yeah. um the, probably the final main question i have for you nick okay mm-hmm. 
and it's question 11, which is the, uh, what's your kind of biggest pet hate about the Glasgow motorway network? Now, this is nothing to do with driver behavior, but it might be something to do with certain conditions on the road, uh, areas, and um, things you might see on the roadside that might make your job annoying or whatever, or it just generally annoys you. That's, that's a tough junctions. question, John. But it's just like, you know, <laughs> what, what's, a, what's a thing that you, you're, not, you're not too keen on out there that yeah. doesn't involve drivers? You know, I actually don't think, I don't know if it's maybe just because I'm used to the road network now in Glasgow, but certainly I don't have a, a lot of annoyances. The ones I've brought up before that can be a bit difficult to, to deal with is like, see, uh, again, that comes back to driver's own reporting things and try to figure out where things are. Um, location. I, yeah. yeah, just try to figure out. I'd probably need to side with Stuart and say that the, the bit that gets my back up ever so slightly is a block here on the exit on the M8 why there isn't a mini roundabout down there just to try and ease yeah. traffic congestion but that's off the motorway networks so and not really on it mm -hmm. yeah. um, 13 yeah westbound offset mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. the only other thing personally personally and this is just from a driver perspective I would like to see more paint on the roads and that sounds silly but it's mainly for the likes of your five say a five lane section coming up to junction 15 where you've just joined from the m80 yeah. you're expecting people who have stayed on the m8 to return to the leftmost lane but eventually mm -hmm. that leftmost lane is a two-lane drop it comes off of cathedral street of course it yeah. is a considerable distance but it's still mm -hmm. short enough should you really begin into lane one just to come back out into lane three again is that you know yeah, so more paint on that section of the road there just to say look this is going to be a dedicated two-lane drop just stay where you are you're happy and you mean you mean a kind of a thing where if they were extending what we call kind of like the one-on-one -on -one markers so yeah. you know to show that that's going to split and go off yeah essentially that that's it um no. but again that's i mean the, the paint that's on the road just now follows all the, the required regulations and guidelines it's laid down you know it's what's meant to be there mm -hmm. that's why i said it's, it's just a personal thing for me it, it's just mean it's just to save that unexpected weaving or people moving it not the yeah. end of the turns to the leftmost lane anyway but still yeah, know, people, people should know. Should know. You know, you, you, people shouldn't have to be reminded of these basics. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and middle lane hogging in the Glasgow system has been a problem since day one. Of course, it has, um, and it comes from people knowing. You know, oh, I need to be in this lane eventually. So, what's yeah. the point in changing? Yeah, it's a, yeah, this is a huge rabbit hole. We've been down it before. Something yeah. that really annoys me. Um, it doesn't really have any effect on driving or anything, but is is graffiti. Uh, that really does seem to wind me up. I suppose it is when it's on signs and stuff, but there's so much of this. Mm -hmm. you know. Graffiti. It's getting really bad yes. in Glasgow. It is an epidemic of it over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's some tit-for-tat um, yeah. graffiti tagging yeah. going on that is becoming quite frustrating, and I'm sure it's been looked at by a whole raft of agencies because uh, yeah. it must be very expensive to deal with. Yes. Yeah, because to deal with that, you're, I mean, you're, you're talking about shutting lanes and motorways just so your guys can get in there and deal with the actual structures themselves and, and yeah. paint over. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a couple of days ago, Glasgow's been deemed the worst city in the UK for graffiti now. Oh, really goodness nice. sake. And you know, up up something in five there. years, that, that would not have been the case. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's really sad. That, that is really sad. And I find that an absolute scourge. Mm -hmm. I utterly yeah. detest graffiti of any kind. You said there, Stuart, it's tit for tat stuff. It really yeah. is that type of graffiti yeah. of two two kind of <clears throat> factions doing it. We yeah. should both mm -hmm. give factions grey paint and tell them to cover each other's tags and get them to do it for us. I yeah. There you go. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah, that, that is a bit of a a bit of a pain. And of course there's safety implications for the people doing the tagging as well. It's well, like some it. of these locations where, where there's tagging going on, you would never dream of going near on foot as a pedestrian. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know about you, Nick. I mean, I've done quite a lot of night shifts, but I've never caught somebody doing graffiti 
at any of these places, but I have heard stories of folk running across the road that they've been spotted going and doing it. I think as they are that fast at doing it, you know, they came out, it's under the cover of darkness. They're mm-hmm. coming out and, you know, they are smart about it. They are coming out when there's not a lot of traffic on the road. It's not like they're coming out during peak time and doing it or doing it when it's, yeah. it's the middle of the night. At least they're, they're risk assessing it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was a joke. But yeah, it's a. But no, yeah, you're right. I, I do agree with you because there's nothing worse when you're coming through and and you see the graffiti on there and you're just oh, come very on. unsightly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's parts of the parts of the M8 that that were graffitied recently that hadn't been touched in the 50 years that they had been there. You know, it's things mm-hmm. like that that are really quite frustrating. But you know, you're right, Nick. It is a huge ordeal having to shut lanes and go out and do it because you know that's what an operating company has to do, and some of them are really difficult to get to, and our guys have to be safe in removing it. Yeah, because it isn't just a one-man job to go down there with a, a can of paint and a roller to cover it up because you're, you're talking about a coning crew to put it out. You're talking about the you control are. rooms to do all the, the, the lane closures themselves. You're coning crews. You've got everybody else that has to come down and do it. So eventually, yeah, it's, it's a lot of folk and very expensive to clean up what somebody's done with what, a £1.50 can of spray paint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've got a question, a final question, I think, before we, we move on and sure. talk about some of the things we've been up to. It's a question for Nick. Right. And... Uh, if you were to take all the adverse types of weather that affect roads, operating conditions and the like, so snow, ice, wind, rain, uh, all of them, what is your least favourite? <laughs> <laughs> Anything that isn't sunny. Anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Snow, snow is an absolute nightmare because people just don't know how to drive when it starts to snow and it starts to come down thick. It was a couple of years ago and there was nothing I don't think any road operating companies could do to combat the, the amount of snow that fell in that short space of time. Yeah. And people were still driving as if it was a nice sunny day and that's just yeah. not how you, how you do it. Because it's so few and far between those snow days. We're not, we're not used to it A lot it of younger anymore. drivers yeah. now don't have the same experience. Like my dad, for example, he doesn't really worry too much about snow when he's driving because he remembers that snow was a common occurrence in a it's lot of the winters in the 60s mm-hmm. and the 70s. You're totally right, it's you not know. common anymore. Yeah, I, I thought you might actually said something like low sun, uh, because I know low sunlight can be a real pain uh, in terms of... That is a big contributor to yeah. congestion. Uh, I used to commute from uh, west to east in the morning and then vice versa, which is obviously yeah. the sun rises in the east. Yeah. Uh, but... I figured it was easier to move and commute the other way than try and reverse the rotation <laughs> or the orbit of the... Just move to the, the southern hemisphere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your, your, low, your low sun certainly isn't as bad as low sun and a wet road. Yeah, some early morning showers or, or, or dew or whatever on that's the road. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the sun visor ain't doing nothing for that bit where you've got a blinding sun that's still striking you from the pavement on, yeah. uh, from the, the road underneath and, and hitting you. Um, no, in order, it would probably go for me, it would go heavy, heavy snow and then it would go rain, um, heavy rain, like we've had recently. Um, it can overwhelm the, the road network just with the amount of water that comes down in such a, a fast uh, period of time yeah. that can cause issues and again back to drivers not really driving to the conditions yeah yeah definitely all right there's <clears throat> one weather condition that you haven't mentioned is very rare fog no Good fog no freezing nope. rain uh now freezing rain doesn't really happen in this country but that can mm. i mean that's super cooled water that when it comes down as raindrops it freezes instantly it turns to black ice yeah it will glass mm. an entire road uh, it has happened a few times in scotland and it is a case of you shut the roads 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's the most frightening weather phenomenon that I think can, can happen on the okay. network. Fair enough. All right, well, on that happy note, John. No worries. Um, thanks, Nick. We appreciate your answers. Um, and your honesty, as always. It's, I'm sure it's enlightening for a lot of people really listening. Good. It is for us. Yeah, it's good to have you back on. Yeah. Uh, okay, in the last few minutes then of this podcast, let's give you an update on what we're doing. And we've mentioned the last couple of times that we're working on a new website. Yeah, we are. We are working on a new website. Um, I, I know we're going on about, about this, but we're actually quite chuffed with what we're working on. And I think it's going to be revolutionary in terms of what has been there before. Especially if you're on a mobile. Yeah, it will be mobile friendly. And uh, it will be much more responsive and reactive and modern and current, unlike the existing one, which is quite old fashioned, if we're honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our priority. I'm hoping it will launch sometime around Christmas. Um, the key point to make is, though, that the existing website is going to slowly wind down in the weeks ahead. Uh, as changes are made to the new platform and things are moved over, some of the existing pages will disappear. Now, some pages will not be coming back. Some pages will not be coming back at all. Um, some articles will be coming back in a revised format. Um, given we are looking to be more mobile friendly, our typical articles might go from being something like five or 6,000 words down to something like 1,500 words, but there'll be more of them, you know, so it makes it a bit more easy to flick through various parts. Okay, so that's something that we're thinking about. So if if you are a fan of the website and there's things on there that you like and there's things that you want to, you know, check out one last time, I recommend you do that at some point over the next week or two because things will start to disappear uh, as we work towards the the new style. Uh, And I'm hoping that you will like it a lot when you finally get to see it. And there will be a lot more photos available on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be a bit more a bit more targeted in, in the images that we use and, and what we show and there'll be galleries and things like that as well available uh, on the back of that the digitization continues and again we want to say thank you uh, to a number of people who've, who've offered support in recent weeks but mostly to Eastford Excavations who have become our first uh, official supporter mm-hmm. uh, so thank you to Andy and the team at Eastford Excavations uh, for their support this year uh, that has enabled us to, to really push on with, with the scanning. Uh, I don't know if I said last month, but we've actually scanned more slides in the last uh, month or so than we have in the 10 years up to now, yeah. uh, just with the new kit that we have, which is much more efficient and yeah. uh, allows us to scan much more, uh, or many more slides we've at a much faster rate. We've gone through a rate of slides that would have taken us what would have been, Stuart? Uh, weeks, months. Months uh, in, in, in the course of, what, a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I think I've scanned 400 slides in, in the last two days. Amazing. And we've got some, what are, mostly Glasgow stuff, but some great East Coast stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming. Uh, so the, the, the hope is lots of these images will be available on the, on the website as well. Um, one of the key features of the new website actually will be access to our catalogue, uh, our archive, basically. You know, you'll be able to browse and see what's in the archive. And then, and if there's a specific document that you would like to see, you, you'll be able to put in a request and say, can I, can I view this, please? Mm-hmm. Uh, other, uh, other documents will be made available on the website to view the internet, you know. So, you know, there's a whole load of things that, that are coming up that I think people will like. Mm-hmm. And we are working on the calendar as well. Well, yes, the 2021 calendar, yeah. I'm hoping, will be available to buy towards the end of November. Yes. Late November. And it will be a wall calendar this year. You may remember there was the the poll that was run on Facebook and Twitter for those who follow us on there. And the overwhelming majority of people said they would prefer a wall calendar. Mm -hmm. That actually has its benefits as well because it's easier and cheaper for us to produce 
which then means it's cheaper for you to buy. Yes, absolutely. So you'll probably notice quite a big saving this year compared to last year's. Desk calendars are actually quite an expensive product to, they to buy. They are kind of, kind of foot, footery things. So if yeah. you're starting to think about Christmas shopping yeah, you know, yeah. for people that might like these kind of things as, a, as a, an interesting gift. And there's some surprising images going to be in there. There is. Uh, we've got some new ones, of oh, course. Yeah. It's all uh, new images, of course. All yeah. brand new images that haven't been shared on social media before. Well, brand new historic images. Brand new historic images. <laughs> if you want to look uh, at it that way. Yeah. But yeah, have a look. And when did you say, Stuart, maybe kind of end of November? Towards the end of November, I would imagine. Yeah, we, want to get uh, and we'll, we want to do it right. Yeah. yeah, and we'll aim to have them shipped out by, by Christmas, well before Christmas. Wonderful. All right, Nicky, anything else from you that you would like to add? No, that's, that's as long as those calendars don't have any photos of John and um, the sandals. socks and sandals. And the denim hot pants. happy with that. <laughs> oh, wow. Might make a special one for you. Yeah, well, that will not have the Glasgow Motorway Archive logo anywhere near it. Let's just say that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, again, if anybody wants to support us, and, and, you know, please feel free to, to snap one of these up. You know, between the kinks and badges and various other things we've done this year and the supporters, it really has helped us to move forward. Even some of the software that we've been able to buy uh, and get the subscriptions for, we can do things far more easily than, than we used to be able to. Um, Thank you so much for the donations yeah, that come through. We really, really it appreciate really that. And a special shout out to Barry Old, um, who, who's been a follower and a supporter of, of us for, for a long time. And a huge um, source of information for yeah, us. Worked yeah, worked on the M8 Renfrew Bypass, Dalnotter Interchange in the A82, the Linklive Spa, the Irvine Newtown, mm -hmm. various places uh, Barry worked. Uh, in Scotland, he's from from the Wirral. He's from Northwest England, and he stays down there at the moment. And they're obviously under tight tight restrictions at the moment, yeah. given the current situation. So we hope he's doing well, and, and, and we'll hopefully we'll call on him soon. again for our Ayrshire yeah. research. Yeah, absolutely. So we will be back again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, we've got a couple of November episodes coming up. Obviously, then we'll have our normal December one, and then we'll have the Christmas one. Wonderful. So 2020 is very much uh, on the way out. And we're hoping uh, that PC Nick will be joining us again for our Christmas special, as he did last year. Well, if I'm allowed, then yes. Most of you'll <laughs> have me. And, and you might even get to grill us for a change just to shake things up a wee bit. Yeah. That would be good. What's the I've got a list of questions, guys. I've got a list of questions. Well, good stuff. It. Good stuff. Well, listen, again, Nick, thanks very much for joining us. Um, no, thank you for having me. That. Uh, and John, thank you as always. And of course, as always, if uh, you enjoy these podcasts and you want to hear more, you'll find them all on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. You can now also find them on YouTube. They're on YouTube as well. Um, please leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. Uh, it's always good to get some new reviews on there. It helps Apple to share us and, and make people aware that we exist. Mm -hmm. You give us a like on YouTube if you're watching there as well. Uh, also, don't forget we have social media with Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so you can go there and get your daily fix. Yeah, and lots of new photos coming up there over the weeks ahead as well. Uh, so very worthwhile. So on that note, then thank you very much, John. Thank you very much, Nick. Okay, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for having us. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.